Hi, my name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Bed Crime Crime Stories. Stories, a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. I did that without no notes. Yeah, me too. I did that without no notes. And I was not as loud as normal. This is episode what, like... Why are you laughing? Fucking 18. It's like episode like 18 and we finally... We nailed it. do our intro without having a note in front of us. I'm very impressed with us. I'm just happy I didn't yell. And yeah. No yelling. No notes. Ha! Yes. This is Charlie, by the way. I'm hoping that you guys are able to tell our voices apart by now. I hope you can. I feel like I I haven't sound anything alike. I was going to say, your voice is really nice and mine's really annoying. I was going to say, mine is really deep. Like, I have a very very bad voice. I have customer service voice on all the time. My dog is in here. He's crinkling a toy, but he's too cute, and I don't feel like kicking him out yet. He is so cute. He's staring at me. He's such a good boy. Okay, sorry. So, this is Charlie, and I'm going to kick off this week's episode with our true crime headlines. Was that it? Yeah, that's good. Was that it? I think that was it. I don't know. It it hits like a... I'll practice. Headlines! Oh, yeah, it was at the end. That's right. Okay, we'll get there. Okay. Workshopping it. All right. So the first true crime headline is going to come to y'all from me from allthatsinteresting.com, of course. I oh, actually yeah. have from our typical sources tonight, all that's interesting and then people.com. But all that's interesting.com. Oh, people. I know, I love people. Um, this was published on the 16th of January of 2021. And this is perfect timing because the Night Stalker documentary series just came out on Netflix. And this story is about uh, Doreen Leody, or I'm sorry, Leoy. Leoy, L-I-O-Y, Leoy. So meet Doreen Leoy, the woman who married a satanic serial killer on death row. Doreen Leoy was an ordinary magazine editor until she wed Richard Ramirez and became the wife of the Night Stalker. After 11 years, 11 years of writing love letters to her prospective husband, Doreen Leoy finally got to marry the man of her dreams. Although Leoy was overjoyed, the news of their wedding shocked the world. The 1996 ceremony took place in San Quentin State Prison. Also, I, I just—I also just finished that documentary, oh, so good, or docu series, oh, so good. It was really good. They did such a good job, and I saw some negative reviews about it, and I was really confused because I saw somebody that I follow on Instagram who I really enjoy posted that they didn't like it, and I was really surprised. Okay, very, very, very surprised because I thought it was fantastic it was very well done yes i watched a lot of uh docs over the christmas break um i watched murder at middle beach which was fucking insane that that show was i still i still haven't oh my god nikki nikki it was insane insane every single episode ended on a cliffhanger for the next episode it was fucking nuts and then oh, oh you know what i tried watching what'd you watch was the the staircase I, I was so bored. Okay, I was also bored by the staircase. I fell asleep. And I felt like, okay, I felt like a bad true crime fan by hating the staircase. Not hating it. Like, the I've, story's I just, interesting. I've but I'm heard like, so much about it, so I was really interested. Yes, agreed. To watch a documentary about it. Agreed. I'm sorry. Agreed. I'm getting overjoyed. Yes. No, so, I agree. I, I agree. was really excited about, like, 
watching a documentary about it because I was like, okay, finally, like I can watch something. And then I just was like, I fell asleep halfway. It was too like, much. It was too much. It was like too much. And it was too much specific detail. Everyone's opinions. Yes. Like I'm like, I don't care what your opinion is. I just want to know the facts. Yes, for sure. Like give me facts. Yeah. Over fiction. Murder at Middle Beach was fantastic. And I also love the Heaven's Gate documentary on HBO was mwah, chef's kiss for anybody who likes cults or is interested in cults. The Heaven's Gate documentary on the Heaven's Gate cult was, I, think, I mean, bananas awesome. Yeah. Bananas awesome. Okay. Sorry. I just, I went off on a tangent because of Definitely just recommendations. Yeah, for sure. Like, I will, I was surprised at how much I liked Murder at Middle Beach or on Middle Beach or whatever. It was fantastic. And I can't and did, wait. And did you notice for um, Murder on Middle Beach how it spelled out mom? <gasps> no. The first episode, if you watch the intro, it'll say Murder on Middle Beach, episode one, and M-O-M are bold. And I'm like, I wonder if he did it on purpose. Stop. Brilliant. It's so good. I highly recommend it. I Nikki. need to watch it. I think I it's, I think it's just it. because my TV in the living room does not have it. Okay. And we moved the Xbox into the home recording room. So now I have to migrate into that room to gotcha. watch it. I highly recommend it's worth the discomfort to watch the documentary because it's fantastic. Okay. I cried. Yeah. Oh, I cried like a biatch for like, in like two of the episodes I cried. Same. Oh, it was fantastic. Same. Um, all right. Good, good talk, guys. Good talk. And my second true crime headline. I think yes. that's good. I think that's it. Um, this is from people.com. This was. I would rather published. her sing than me. <laughs> this was published on January 20th, 2021. And the headline reads, Worst Cooks in America winner and husband charged with homicide in three-year-old girl's death. Ariel Robinson was arrested on Tuesday, the, so that would have been the 19th, January 19th, 2021. A Worst Cooks in America winner was charged with homicide by child abuse Tuesday in the death of a three-year-old girl. Ariel Robinson, 29 years old of South Carolina, was taken into custody in connection with the death of Victoria Rose Smith, and also arrested was 34-year-old Jerry Robinson. So I'm sure this is still a very, very, very new story. So I'm sure we will get more information about that as that story unfolds. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Very interesting true crime headlines. Hey, follow up on... Week. Did you see the follow up on the Salt Life guy? No. How, like, he thought they were they were playing with a pretend gun. I think that that's how the story went, was that it was, they were playing with a pretend gun and he shot her. Yeah. That's what he's, he said. Yeah. I think that there's a lot more involved. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Like. Yeah. Oh, also interesting. This is a just a true crime headline off the top of my but head. But don't quote me off that. That's yeah. what I'm going off memory. <laughs> this is a true crime headline off the top of my head that very recently um, Phil Spector died. Music producer of the 60s, Phil Spector died. Oh, wow. Um, very interesting to see. Uh, the amount of people who credit his music career history before the fact that he's a murderer. <laughs> so I was just like um, seeing that headline. Well, I got I got the notification on my phone that it said, you know, Phil Spector. I think he was like eighty something years old. Dies. Blah blah blah. So I look at my phone and I'm like, huh, Phil Spector died. Oh well, good riddance. And I put my phone down. So my boyfriend's like, babe, that's awful. I got. And I'm like. No, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> like, he was awful. He was a murderer. Like, you know, he was in jail. But he's like, oh, okay. Proceed. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. Whatever. So, yeah, Phil Spector died. So, that's just another 
I didn't even know who that is. Oh, it's a very interesting story. I That was another um, trial that I watched on Court TV when Court TV was still a you thing. I could do Phil Spector. That would be a good one to do. It's a, it's a crazy, that's a crazy story. A lot of, um, it's very, he said, she said, very circumstantial. Oh, okay. It's a very interesting story. But um, Phil Spector's a fucking kookadoo. He's a little. A kookadoo. Not to speak. A kookadoo. Not to speak ill of the dead. Mm. I mean. <laughs> I was going to say, Jovi's giving me the face of like, mm, but do you really feel bad? So, all right. So that was our true crime headlines. I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Nikki. She is going to tell us all um, her bed crime story for this evening. Yes. So I did something a little different. Okay. Um, so just as a reminder, I'm not an expert by any means. I enjoy true crime and I found all of this information on the internet. Mm-hmm. Again, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Mm-mm. But my sources today are Murderpedia and Crime Library. Nice. So I am doing Alaska's serial killer, Robert Hansen. Is this the butcher baker of... Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. I'm going to be honest. I don't like to do serial killers. Okay. Because I feel like everybody does a serial killer when they do true crime stuff. But like this one... He's not very well known. He isn't well known because I didn't know about it. And I honestly had found a picture of him on Pinterest and a description of what he had done. And I was like, this sounds like a movie. This Mm -hmm. isn't real. And then when I looked it up, it was real. And I was like, this is scary. This is what nightmares are made of. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to say right now, trigger warning for uh, sexual sexual violence. This is it's insane story. Yeah, it's a there's some parts that made me even uncomfortable. But like it it just kind of goes with the story. Um, so Robert Christian Hansen, not the Hansen brothers, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> no connection there. <laughs> no relation to Mbop. Just want to, just want to state that cause I do love my Hansen brothers. Um, so, huh? Me too. Me too. The Hansen. Oh I love the Hansen brothers. Jovi and I got the opportunity to see the Hansen brothers at, uh, Epcot a couple <gasps> of years ago. That's, that's why I went this. This, oh not this past God. year, but the year before. Mwah. They were fantastic. They were fantastic. And I just wanted I, to watch Umbop. They closed their set with Umbop. It made me so oh happy. And we even drank their beer, which is oh, called... It's not that good. Yeah, but it's called Umhops. It's Umhops, yeah. Which it's, I'm it's, sorry. That's brilliant it is. advertising. It is. It's just very dark for my taste. It, and it's very hoppy. Yes. It's yeah. just it's not... Very IPAE. Mm. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. It wasn't bad, but like... I mm. did. Mm hops is a delightful oh. name for a beer when you have recorded a song called Mbop. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I get brilliant. it. I get it. I just, it's not me. Yeah, it just was like not my. I love it. I want the fruity drinks. Oh, see, that's not my jam. And it's just not. And I eat it with pizza. I eat it with the jalapeno stuffed pretzel. Oh my god. And some mm hops. Yeah, we did. Delight. We did not get there early enough to find a spot, but it was fine because we were we were those drunk girls in the back. Yeah, that were just having a good time. Love like I was like, yeah, and I think Zach had broken his arm at that time. I remember when he broke his arm. Yeah. and like somebody else had to come in and, and drunk yeah. Him, so he just, literally like, just there. had he, he had the tambourine the whole time. Yes, being cute that. and handsing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Cute. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I had a real quick, just one last little Hanson tidbit. I had a Thai beanie baby when I was a kid. It was a little pig, and I named him Taylor Hamson. Oh my god, Taylor Hamson. We get it. See, uh, I'm I'm a Zach. I There's, was all about. Well, no, no, I was a 
I was really? a Zach fan too. No, no, no. I was a Taylor fan. No, no, no. Taylor was my favorite. Taylor's my favorite. I just no. have a thing for boys with long hair. Now that they're older, <laughs> now that they're older, I actually prefer Isaac. <gasps> right? Yes. Like they've aged different. They've aged completely differently than the way he's very. Isaac is very nice looking. Now. There was just a news release the other day that Zach Hansen and his wife are expecting their fifth child. Jesus. Oh man. Sorry. So <laughs> you're fine. So Robert Christian Hansen was born on February fifteenth, nineteen thirty nine, in Estherville, Iowa. Um, oh. To Christian. Uh, so he was born to Christian Hansen, a Danish immigrant. <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot. I forgot the dog. <laughs> did you forget? Oh, did you forget that baby boy was there? Look at that face. So, he's like, she's so mean to me. Whenever, whenever we record, Charlie prints out my story for me, and I will start dropping my pieces of paper on the floor as I'm done with them. And I forgot the dog was on the floor, and I scared the crap out of him. Okay, I'm so sorry, my poor baby. He's fine. <laughs> I mean, really, he's fine. It's okay. Oh no, I know. I just was like, I completely forgot. He's just the sweetest face that it's like. It's easy to be like. He oh, just looks. He looks he's so sad. He looks so sad all the time. He does. Thank you for moving out of the way. I I, I love you. Good boy. Good boy. So um, he was born to a, a Danish immigrant baker and his wife Edna. Uh, throughout ch- uh, childhood and adolescence, uh, Hansen was described as being quiet and a loner and had a difficult relationship with his father, which who doesn't? Uh-huh. <laughs> so his father was very strict and <laughs> insisted that his son work long hours in the family's bakery. Hansen was always considered small for his age and had severe acne, which again, who did it? I'm, I'm like in my 30s and I still. Mm. Mm. Although he was naturally left handed, his parents forced him to use his right hand. Um, he was frequently bullied at school, usually for his acne and also for his severe stutter. So in later years, he would claim that the resulting stress uh, made his slight stuttering problem even worse. He had very few friends in school, and those he did have uh, never got close to him. So, in 1957, Hansen graduated high school and enlisted in the uh, United States Army Reserve. Following basic training, he was um, required to devote one week and a month to the military. He spent the rest of his time working in his father's bakery and sometimes volunteering as a Pocahontas junior police drill instructor. So, in Pocahontas, Hansen uh, began a relationship with a girl and married in the summer of 1960. On December 7th of that year, as uh, retribution for perceived uh, abuses by the people of Pocahontas, Iowa, he was arrested for burning down a local school bus garage and sentenced to a three-year prison sentence. Hmm. And this was in 1960. Hmm. So, a friend of Hansen's turned him in. His wife was ashamed of her husband's actions and immediately filed for divorce. After serving only 20 months, Hansen was paroled. Despite being assessed as having an infantile personality. Infantile? Am I saying it wrong? I-N-F-A-N-T-I-L-E? Yeah, infantile. So, like, childlike? Yeah. I was just making sure that that's what you said. Yeah. I was like, I I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know what the hell that means. So shortly after his release, he met a young woman. The two hit it off and were wed in the fall of 1963. I don't know what is up with these women and wanting to marry these men. Can we talk about that real quick? This happens way more often 
than I think we all realize it happens. Like when we talk about these people who are to a certain point, like obviously problematic. Yeah. But they're getting married. As soon as they are separated or divorced, they're immediately meeting new people and getting married again. Yeah. Or the like the woman in my true crime headline with getting married to the night. You got married to the night stalker, and she wasn't an uneducated woman. She was a <laughs> fucking journalist. Like he he's the he's like a, a French toast nightmare. Um. So for the next few years, Robert bounced from job to job and was arrested several times for petty thefts. Again. Yeah. Red flag. Yeah. In 1967, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska. Anchorage appeared to be the perfect getaway. In Anchorage, he was well-liked by his neighbors and was famed as a local hunting champion. He would stalk doll, sheep, wolves, and uh, bear with a rifle or a bow and arrow. In 1969, 1970, and 1971, he had four animals entered into Pope and Young's trophy hunting world record books. So Hanson's den was full of animal mounts. Okay, so in 1977, he was arrested for theft of a chainsaw and sentenced to five years in prison. For a chainsaw theft? That's what I said when I read this. I said, five years for stealing a chainsaw? Wow. There's people that get, that get less for way more. Yes. Yes. So after a customary uh, mental evaluation, a prison psychiatrist concluded that Robert suffered from bipolar affective disorder and requested Mm. the courts order him to take uh, lithium uh, to control his mood swings. Uh, Regardless, the order was never enforced and Robert was released after serving just one year. Mm. So during the early 1980s, Hansen reported a burglary um, to his home, which in the end netted him $13,000 from the insurance company. Shortly after receiving the settlement, Hansen opened his own bakery at the corner of 9th and Ingra. Uh, by this time, Robert and his wife had two children and his problems with the law were but forgotten. Because, hmm. of course. Right. Now you're an upstanding member of society. Yeah. Mr. Family Man. Yeah. So his business prospered. Forget about your chainsaw thieving days. They are over. Right? Yeah. So his uh, business prospered, and he was considered a successful and respected member of the community. So <laughs> the Kinnick uh, River Valley is a preferred hunting ground for veteran um, trophy hunters. Just 25 miles from Anchorage, the Winding Gorge uh, makes it a perfect place to find mountain goats, doll sheep, black bears, and moose. Which also, they, they had a whole description, and it was beautiful, but I was like... Let's get to the point. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it was really nice. It was very descriptive. About how beautiful the How beautiful it was. Is. Yeah. So, on September 12th of 1982, John Daly and Aldi Holloway, two off-duty Anchorage police officers, spent an afternoon hunting along the Knick River. Um, according to Butcher Baker by Walter uh, Gilmore and Leland E. Hale, the two men had little luck as darkness began to fall. They decided to call it a day. So the the track uh, necessarily um, wasn't easy, but both men were fulfill, uh, familiar with the area and cut across a wide sandbar. However, as they progressed up the river, they noticed a boot sticking out of the sand. Normally, a find like this would not be um, cause for concern, but for any police officer, curiosity uh, donates investigation. Yeah. Upon uh, closer inspection, the two men were taken aback. Sticking out of the sand was a partially decomposed uh, bone joint. Once their minds registered what they were looking at, both men backed up from the scene. The last thing they wanted to do was disturb or contaminate Mm -hmm. any evidence. So after making note of the location, both men made their way out of the gorge and back to their camp. 
So Gilmore and Hale wrote the sar- uh, that Sergeant Rolly Port was assigned. Which listen to this name, Rolly. Rolly Port. Aw, Rolly. Listen to that name. It's Greek. Rolly. Yeah, right. So Gilmore and Hale wrote the sur- uh, s- Sergeant Rolly Port was assigned to cover the investigation. So a decorated uh, Vietnam uh, veteran, uh, Port was considered to be one of the top investigators on the force. He, he was very thorough with every crime scene and was known to spend hours going over the smallest area. Before disturbing the body, Port had photographs taken from every angle, carefully examined the body itself or traced evidence before having it bagged. Afterwards, he, poured a lar- uh, he had pulled a large screen and began shifting through the sand around the body. It took several hours for him to finish shifting, but in the end, it paid off. Lying on the screen before him was a single shell casing from a, which I don't know, guns, so forgive me, .223 caliber bullet. So, Port was familiar with this type of uh, ammunition and knew it was used in high-powered rifles like M16s, Mini 14s, and AR-15s. So, back in Anchorage, a preliminary, a preliminary autopsy revealed that the victim was female or un, of an undetermined age and had been dead approximately six months. The cause of the death was three gunshot wounds from a 223 caliber bullets. Ace bandages, huh? 330? No, three. Oh, I thought you said 30. No. I was like, Jesus Christ. Overkill. No, the God. <laughs> so the cause of death was three gunshot wounds from a 223 caliber bullet. Woof. All right. No, yeah. no, no. I, I heard that okay. wrong, but I got very like. I was like, maybe I, I said it wrong. I 30. I was like, Jesus crazy. Like, maybe, I was like, maybe I said it wrong. So ace bandages were uh, found mingled in the remains, causing investigators to, uh, to suspect that the victim had been blindfolded at the time of death. Mm. It took a little over two weeks to finally identify the body as the 24-year-old uh, Sherry Morrow, a dancer from Wild Cherry Bar in downtown Anchorage. Mm. She was last seen November 17th, 1981. So according to friends, she was going to see a man that offered her $300 to post for, uh, for some pictures. Anchorage police had a suspicion that Sherry Morrow's death was not an isolated um, incident. Incident. <laughs> You threw the page before you said the word incident. I did. And I was like, my brain did not process the last word before I dropped it. Uh, So over the last two years, there were a sudden increase in the number of missing persons reports um, being filed, many of which were topless dancers and sex workers, Mm -hmm. which also they had the word prostitute. And I made sure to go in and change every single word Mm -hmm. to sex workers. Mm -hmm. There's only one word where it was not changed and that's because it's a direct quote correct just want to notate that that's the correct usage um prior to this latest discovery the reports had not prompted much attention sex workers tend to be loners and often travel from city to city only to reappear years later if there was a link investigators did not want to tip the killer off any concerns they had were kept private when discussing Morrow's murder with the Anchorage Daily News, investigators said um, said they doubted that it was related to the disappearance of at least three other women since 1980. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So they said, we don't believe we have a mass murderer out there, some psycho knocking off girls, said the Anchorage police detective Maxon Farrell. Do you think it was just they didn't want to alert the public that there might be a serial killer? Or I just, do you think that they really didn't think that there was anything connecting the crimes? I just, 
I think that they they really didn't want to tip him off. Right. Oh, because, tip like, him off that yeah. belonged to you? Gotcha. Yeah. Because, like, if you do, then he if he stops, then... Right. I mean, right. Or right, if right. he starts trying to cover things up yeah, or... true. You know. Right. Right. Like, like the whole Night Stalker thing with the shoe... Yes. ...debacle. Yes. So they just didn't want to say... And there was, like, another... I didn't include it because I didn't find it to be important at the moment, but now I kind of feel like I should have. There was another serial killer that they had accidentally tipped off, and then Mm. he basically took his motorcycle and ran it into, like, a semi. Mm. Yeah. So Alaska uh, uh, State Trooper Sergeant Lyle um, was assigned to determine whether or not Sherry Morrow's murder was an isolated incident. Working with the Anchorage Police Department, the two agencies began sharing files and comparing notes. So again, this kind of goes back to where I'm like, feel like they were a little ahead of their time in the 80s because a lot of places the agencies sharing the information i will give them credit about that like yes that was definitely at that time seemed to be a big no-no that agencies didn't share information because it was like this it was basically like i want to solve it yeah it was a a pissing contest it was it, it was a dick down yeah so, according to Bernard uh, DeCluse in Fair Game, the first indication of a possible... You know what a dick down is, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you know what a dick down is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, whose dick is bigger? Yeah. So, we're going to la- throw we our dicks it. down? Oh, okay. We got it. I'm just making sure. Well, maybe the audience doesn't know what a dick down is. I'm sorry. Continue. Do you want to explain what a dick down is? No, I just said. People take their dicks down and show which one is bigger. You know. Dick down. Dick down. I'm sorry. Nikki, go ahead, please. It's I, fine. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I appreciate it. Dick down. <laughs> it, it, it adds a little bit of humor to, to my story. Because mm-hmm. it's so it's so sad. Mm-hmm. So according to Bernard uh, DeCluse in Fair Game, the first indication uh-huh. of a possible... <laughs> Dick down. Okay. Possible link appeared to be with uh, two unsolved cases from 1980. And the first case, construction workers digged near Eucaluda... Ikaluna Road um, and they discovered remains of a woman buried in a shallow grave. Animals had taken off with the majority of the remains and there were very little evidence at the scene. Mm-hmm. The victim was never identified but was dubbed, uh, dubbed why? Yeah, Alaska not, words are hard. Say, it's all those words from Ikalutana the- Annie. So we're just going to keep calling her Annie the rest of the story. Annie works. Annie's great. Um, by police assigned to the case. Later that same year, another body was found um, in a nearby gravel pit. The victim was later identified as Joanne Messina, a local topless dancer. Unfortunately, her body was uh, badly decomposed, and as with Annie, there was little evidence to be found. Mm. In the end, um, Hogsovin had few leads to follow and very little evidence at his disposal Mm -hmm. as months passed hope of catching the killer began to diminish Hmm. so this is where shit gets real so on the evening of june 13th 1983 a trucker was passing through town when he noticed a frantic young woman by the name of cindy paulson waving her arms and calling out to him cindy had a pair of handcuffs dangling from one of her wrists and her clothing was disheveled she told the trucker that a man was after her and asked him to take her to the Big Timber Motel. I love how in Alaska things are just named what you would see in a movie. Yes. Yeah. Like, the Big Alaskan Timber. Sky Ridge. I'm like, okay. 
Right. Yeah. So once inside, she had the front desk clerk place a call for her. As she waited outside, the truck driver drove straight to the Anchorage Police Department and reported the incident. When Anchorage Police um, Officer Greg Baker arrived at the Big Timber Motel, he found the girl alone and still in handcuffs. Once he removed her cuffs, she began telling him an extraordinary story. According to the report she gave to the investigators, she had been approached on the street by a 40-ish red-haired man and offered $200 for oral sex. Which I was like, $200 in the 80s. Yeah, let's... Okay, so it'd be 83. What do you think? Yeah, you guys get... Bless, Bless you. you. I'm thinking... Like five hundred. I don't even think it's that much of a difference. No. I'm gonna say. Make you. Lost you. Like Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Okay, four. so because of the way the economy kind of tanked, and in the '80s it was like everybody's living high on the hizog. I'm gonna say it's three hundred and twenty-five. Four hundred. You're closer. Oh, motherfucker. Yes. Uh, $200 in 1983 is equivalent in purchasing power to about $523. I said 500 to begin with. You did. I, I did. I suck at this game, man. <laughs> I suck at this game. I just was like, oh. let me just double it. Um, so she agreed, she agreed to the price and midway through the act, the man locked a handcuffed around her wrist and pulled out a gun. Um, so he told her if she cooperated, he would not kill her scary yeah so he drove down to his house in muldoon an upper class area but not far from town once inside the man brutally 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 the man brutally raped her bit her nipples and at one point shoved a hammer into her vagina jesus okay so after a brief rest the man said he was going to fly her to his cabin in the mountains and told her he would let her go if she cooperated after he took a rest after he took a rest and he was going to fly oh, yeah, her. Sure. All this raping is real exhausting for you, sir. He's going to fly her to his cabin in the mountains and then would let her go, which I'm like, no. So upon their arrival at the airport, her kidnapper shoved her inside a small plane and began loading supplies. Cindy knew she was in serious trouble and that the man would probably kill her once they got to his cabin. Listen to your gut. For real. So, waiting until his back was turned, she shoved open the door and ran for her life. According to her, he chased after her at first and then uh, relented when he saw her wave down the truck driver. After making a formal statement at police headquarters, investigators drove Cindy to Merrill Field, the airport where she had been taken. They were hoping she could identify her abductor's plane. As they drove through the small airport, she spotted a blue and white Piper Super Cub. Tail number N3089Z and identified the plane. A check um, with the flight tower revealed that the plane belonged to Robert C. Hansen, who lived at Old Harbor Road. <sighs> I mean, can we just talk real quick about like her resilience, bravery, badass. and badassery yeah. for a second? Like, well, and that's why, like, they, they. So in the article, they just kept talking about her being like, the P word, the right. not a sex worker. And it's like, no, I made sure to cut that out and just put her name because it's like, she's a fucking person. Well, I mean, yeah, as is any. But my whole thing is, is like, she's fucking badass. Oh, like, yeah. Think about all the shit that she just went oh, through yeah. and how much he tortured her. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it's just, 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, the the sheer survival instinct, badass, kick-ass nature that that woman has is mm-hmm. unfucking believable to me. It's incredibly commendable oh, yeah. and impressive. She's awesome. Yeah. So, Gilmore and Hale wrote that after dropping the woman off at the hospital, Baker and a group of fellow officers went directly to Hansen's house. Hansen became outraged when confronted with the young woman's charges. He claimed he had never met the girl and stated that she was probably trying to shake him down for money. To him, the entire story was absurd. You can't rape a prostitute, can you? He said. Hansen, which also, if it's not consent, it's called rape. Correct. Like, if it's not no consensual. What your profession is, sir. Exactly. Yes. So, Hanson went on to state that his wife and two children were vacationing in Europe and said that he had spent the entire evening with two friends. His alibi checked out and no formal charges were filed. Mm. Yeah. So, just as things seemed to be calming down again, investigators were called to the scene of another grisly discover. According to reports in the Anchorage uh, Daily News on September 2nd, 1983, just 10 days shy of the one-year anniversary of discovering Sherry Morrow... Another body was found along Knick River. The mm. remains were partially decomposed and buried in a shallow grave. Jeez. The victim later identified a 17-year-old Paula Golding was a topless dancer and sex worker from Anchorage. Um, some from Anchorage. Mm. She had gone missing some five months earlier. An autopsy revealed that she had been shot with a .223 caliber bullet. Jeez. So the ballistics are starting to become are starting to create a pattern. Yes. Investigators were now convinced that they had a serial killer on their hands and contacted the FBI for assistance. The FBI was known for its uh, dog determination and serial murder investigations, Mm -hmm. and everyone seemed to agree on asking for their assistance. Yeah. So, in response to Anchorage's request for help, the FBI's um, investigative support unit sent Special Agent John Douglas, a legendary figure in law enforcement, to help profile America's latest serial killer. John Douglas! Many local investigators felt that Robert Hansen was still a viable suspect and were anxious to uh, share their suspicions with Douglas. So according to Douglas, um, the, the person specifically chose sex workers and topless dancers because the majority were transients and usually unnoticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, upon the urging of local investigators, Douglas began looking into Robert Hansen's background. He took note of the fact that Hansen was small of stature, heavily pocket-marked, and um, suffered from severe speech impediment. Due to Hansen's unslightly... Huh. Like, isn't that shit so amazing? Like, we know that he had a bad speech impediment, right? We knew he had a stutter. And, like, just by looking at the details of the case, John Douglas is like, oh, FYI, motherfucker got a stutter. So, due to Hansen's unsightly looks, Douglas surmised that he suffered from severe skin problems as an adolescent and was probably teased by his peers. Mm-hmm. In turn, he would have low self-esteem, which would have prompted him to live in an isolated area. Mm-hmm. Douglas considered the abuse of sex workers as a way um, to get back at the women. If Hansen was the killer, he was probably using them as a way to get his revenge. Several investigators were familiar with Hansen and said they had... That he was known around the area as a proficient hunter. Hmm. He earned his reputation after taking down a wild dow sheep with a crossbow. Hmm. Perhaps, Douglas surmised, Robert Hansen tired of elk, bear, and dow sheep and had instead turned his attention to more interesting prey. Jesus. 
So as the profile progressed, Douglas told investigators that if Hanson was the killer, he was probably a saver and would keep small souvenirs from his victims. Mm. The only way to roll Hanson out as a suspect would be for the investigators to find a hole in his alibi. Mm -hmm. Douglas suspected that his friends were lying for him and encouraged investigators to threaten them with charges if they were found to be lying. Mm -hmm. State Police Sergeant Glenn uh, Floth decided to bring the men in for questioning. As it turned out, the strategy worked and both men confessed and said that they had not been with Robert Hansen on the night the young sex worker was abducted and brought to the airport. Mm-hmm. Which, don't lie for your friends. I know. I that know. is the stupidest. I agree. Don't lie for people when you don't know what they're actually doing. Yep. Investigators also learned um, from Hansen's friends that he was committing insurance fraud. Apparently, a uh, burglary he reported to police in which several items were stolen from his home never occurred, and Hansen was hiding the items in his basement. Huh. Yeah. So after learning of Hansen's deceit, um, Fluth uh, went before Judge Victor Carlson with a 48-page um, affidavit and secured eight search warrants to be executed against Robert Hansen and his property. On October 27, 1983, investigators followed Hansen to work and asked him to come with them to the police station for questioning. Hansen never bothered to ask why they wanted to talk and agreed to go along. So at the same time... Well, because he's just so cocky. He like, oh, he's yeah. just assuming like... Shuh. Yeah, sure, I'll go. Yeah. So at the same time, two groups of investigators served warrants on Hansen's house and plane. According to the book um, Hunting Humans by Michael Newton, investigators found weapons throughout the house, but nothing to implicate Hansen in any of the murders. Um, Then, just as they were about to call it a day, one of the officers discovered a hidden space tucked away in the attic rafters. Mm. Within it, they discovered a Remington 552 rifle, or 552 rifle. 552 is correct. Oh, okay. 552 is correct. 552 is correct. I don't know. Guns. A Thompson Contender um, 7 millimeter. I do know that. Single shot pistol. An aviation map with specific locations marked off. Various pieces of jewelry. Newspaper clippings. A Winchester 19-gauge shotgun. A driver's license. And various IDs. Some of which belong to the dead women. Jesus. As incriminating as these items were, the most important piece of evidence was found last. A two two three caliber mini-14 rifle. Mm. So back at police headquarters, Hansen denied any involvement in the murders. After a brief game of cat and mouse, he grew tired of the allegations and requested an attorney. Hansen was arrested and charged with assault, kidnapping, multiple weapon offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. The last charge was related to his filing of a claim with an insurance company over alleged theft of some trophies, with the funds being used to purchase the Super Club. So, at a trial, he claimed he later recover, recovered the trophies in his backyard, but forgets, forgot to inform the insurer. Jesus. So, on November 3rd, 1983, an Anchorage grand jury returned four indictments against Hansen. First degree assault and kidnapping, five counts of misconduct and possession of a handgun, theft in the second degree, and theft by deception and insurance fraud. Investigators were still awaiting the ballistics tests resulting um, Hansen's rifle, so the state decided to hold off on charging him with murder. Hansen pleaded not guilty to all charges, but bail was set at half a million dollars. So Alaska was not fucking around. Yeah, no. So Newton wrote that the ballistics test uh, results finally came in on November 20th, 1983. The FBI crime lab in Washington, D.C. determined that the shell casings found at the gravesites had all been fired from Hansen's rifle. Jeez. 
The firing pin and the extractor marks were identical. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so cool how they... I think all of it's so fucking cool. Like all. Sorry, I'm forensic, just throwing my papers everywhere. Like, all that forensic shit is just so flippin' fascinating to it me. It is. Like, I find blood splatter, like, so intriguing to me. Because yes. it's just, like, it's so interesting to see, like, how they, they can tell what happened. Right. Just by, like... Like, basically completely reset the scene just by yeah. the direction and the... Uh, velocity of the spray. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that one episode of Dexter where they had like the lines. Yes. Going, like I always mm-hmm. found that. I mean, I don't think that they do that in real life, do they? No, they do do that in real okay. life. Though I do believe that blood spatter evidence is no longer admissible in court because it's fallible oh, really? evidence now. Yeah. It's oh, so they don't fallible. even use it? Well, you can use it to corroborate and support other evidence, but it cannot be your like smoking gun is blood spatter. It's so those people are all to... out of jobs. No, no, no. They still use it. They oh, use okay. it to like support theories. Oh, okay. But it can't be your only evidence. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I was like, I was like, I always found that. See how Dexter's out of a job. Maybe that's what the uh, revival of Dexter is going to be about. So given the mass of evidence uh, building against him, Hanson realized that the chances of him win- winning in court were slim. So on February 22nd, uh, 1984, Hanson had his defense attorney, Fred Dewey, arranged a meeting with Anchorage DA Victor Crum. So during the meeting, Crum offered Hansen a deal in exchange for a full confession. The DA uh, guaranteed him that he would only be charged with four cases that they knew of, and he would be able to serve his time in a federal facility rather than a maximum security institution. Hmm. Hansen reluctantly agreed to the conditions. After both uh, sides signed off on the agreement, Hansen began describing one of his typical abductions. The following transcript, which has been edited for space, was originally published in uh, Glimmer and Hale's book. So he says, I pull out a gun. I think the standard speech was, look, you're a professional. You don't get excited. You know there is some risk to what you're doing. If you do exactly what I tell you, you're not going to get hurt. You're just going to count this off as a bad experience and be a little more careful next time you are going to proposition or go out with, you know. Ew. Right? (laughs) Ew. I tried to act as tough as I could to get them scared as possible. Uh, give that right away, even before I started talking at all. Reach over, you know, and hold them, uh, their head back and put a gun in her face and get them to feel helpless, scared right there, I'm sure. Maybe it's not the same, uh, procedure for you. Uh, you always try to get control of the situation, so some things don't start going, um, don't start going bad. Maybe I've seen some cop shows on TV. I don't know. Okay. So, whenever Hansen got a victim under his control, he would normally take her to his plane and fly them off to his remote cabin. According to Newton, he would brutally rape and torture the women. Afterwards, he would strip them naked, sometimes going as far as blindfolding them, and then set them free in the woods. That's, like, what nightmares are made of. Like... The entire story is nightmares. Yeah, it's just, like... legit. That's why I was, like, I normally don't do serial killers, but this one was just, like... I've never heard of this, mm-hmm. and I'm just so intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. So, Hansen would give his victim a brief head start and then hunt them down with a hunting knife or a high-powered rifle. In describing his hunts to investigators, Hansen said it was like going after a trophy doll or a grizzly bear. So, he confirmed uh, the police theory of how the women were abducted, adding that he would sometimes let a potential victim go if she had convinced him that she wouldn't report him to police. And then indi- uh, indicated that he began killing as early as 1973. 
He showed investigators wow. 17 grave sites in Knick River Valley, 12 of which were unknown to police. 11 remains of probable 21 victims were exhumed by the police and returned to their families. Hmm. Hansen was sentenced to 461 years in prison. So he was first imprisoned in the United States Penitentiary, um, Lewisburg, in Lewisburg, uh, Pennsylvania. So in 1988, Hansen was returned to Alaska and became one of the first inmates in the New Spring uh, Creek Correctional Center in Seward, where he remains today. Oh, fancy. Shortly after his conviction, the record keepers for Pope and Young uh, removed Hansen's name from their record books. Hansen's wife and two children remained, uh, tried to remain in Alaska, but after two, um, two years of harassment, his second wife filed for divorce and left Alaska for good. Jeez. So I said, can't believe it took her that long to file for divorce, honestly. Yeah. Yep. So it says by May 1984, investigators had found seven bodies at the grave sites Robert Hansen pointed out to them. No other bodies have ever been recovered. My God. And that is the, what is it? The Butcher Baker? The Butcher Baker of Alaska. The Butcher Baker of Alaska. Now I have to pick up all my papers off the floor. That's crazy. That story is insane. Yeah, I, um, that story is a, is a crazy one. I didn't think it very, was very real. Until I looked it up and realized that it was real. It's very intense. And like, honestly, it is. It is very um, setting the scene of the woman who escapes is so theatrical and so dramatic that I definitely think it's something that they could for sure write a movie about Um, because it just has like it's so grand as far as like the story itself is concerned. I just, I don't know, that, that story just it disturbs me on did. many, many levels. It disturbs me on so many levels. Oh, hello. I'm sorry, they just came in from outside, so now he's all excited to come back and say hi. He's like, um, hello. So yeah, that story just always has disturbed me on so many levels. It's just like so unbelievably creepy. Yeah. Um, man alive. All right. Man. Well, <clears throat> that that goes it for another episode of Bed Crime Stories. Um, thank you guys so much for your listens. Thank you so much for your comments, for your reviews, for your reaching out to us and telling us, um, how you feel, how you love it, all of that stuff. We do appreciate the feedback. Um, feel free, like I said, to find us on our socials on Instagram and on Twitter at bed crime stories. Mm-hmm. You can also send us emails if you so choose to do so at bed crime stories pod at gmail.com. Um, like subscribe leave reviews all of that fun stuff uh tell a friend we appreciate that as well oh yeah um and we hope that you all have a lovely afternoon um until next week we have lots of barking dogs happening our backyard is just filled with dogs um until next week thank you all so much for listening um once again on behalf of myself nikki and jovi we appreciate all of you and sweet Sweet dreams. dreams Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.